Okay. Continuing on. Um, Subhasita Jayavaja, having whatever speech is well spoken. This is a blessing for the one who says it and a blessing for the one who hears it. Speech is a very powerful thing. If you've ever done, if you've ever said something nasty to someone, you, you'll find quite quickly how much suffering that is, how, how much of a curse it is. You lose friends, you lose credibility. When you lie, when you try to deceive people with your words, it only feels bad afterwards. But when you say good things, when you repeat good words, and when you have a subhasita, subhasita has become this word in, in Buddhist culture to mean um, great, good sayings. I don't know whether if it's actually was the case in the Buddhist time, but it means a, a, like an, a, what's the word, an idiom? Is that the word? Yeah. Like a, a famous saying. No? Like, gano voma upachaka, don't let the moment pass you by. Or, yadisang wapade bijang, tadisang harade palang, you reap what you sow. Buddha said it. Whatever, whatever seed you plant, such is the fruit that you reap. Kalyanakari, kalyanang babakari, jababakari. These are subhasita. So whatever speech is well spoken. This is a big thing now. People are always posting quotes. I subscribe to these feeds where people post wisdom quotes. And a lot of them I just throw yeah. But then there's the occasion where we say, oh, that's a good quote. That's a subhasita. And you say, that's... It's a blessing because it makes you, it, it wakes you up, it makes you think, and it, it brightens up your day, it brightens up your mind, it sets you in the right frame of mind. So we should try to surround ourselves with these things, with um, good speech, and use good speech ourselves. It's a blessing for the one who hears, it's a blessing for the one who says. Caring for your mother and father. Yes. This is uh, remember. This isn't a mother or a father speaking, so it's not. Uh, it's not like uh, the Buddha had any conflict of interest in this one. He really did believe that paying respect to your or taking care of your mother and father is a great blessing. And you know, you know, one very simple way it's a great blessing is because your children are more likely to take care of you. I've seen when, when, when parents don't, when children don't take care of their parents, the children of those children don't, they, they turn around and don't take care of their parents either. And you, so you can see how, how it's actually, to, to create this culture of not taking care of your parents is a, is a very terrible thing that we've fallen into in, in, in modern society. Um, you see in many traditional cultures where you have three, four, generations living in the same house. This is really taking care of your elders. And then the elders turn around and take care of the grandchildren as well. So it really works out quite well. Um, but nowadays we, uh, we just put our parents away in homes and let the doctors look after them. And the doctors don't look after them and they wind up just getting medicated and turning into vegetables. And they're not happy. No one can be happy without loved ones around. You can go to these old age homes and they say, oh, everything's wonderful, there's a 
whatever uh, lawn polo and uh, there's uh, good food or you know there's the nice gardens and so on no one will be happy there not without their family taking care of your parents is a wonderful thing I had an opportunity recently my good luck that my father got in a car crash uh, he was coming to pick me up at the airport when I came from Thailand recently and he got in a car crash and it was such a that's terrible. Huh? Such a stroke of good luck. <laughs> That's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? But it had a silver lining in that dark cloud because uh, we got to spend very five days of high-quality time together uh, in the hospital. And I got to take care of him for five days and five nights. I got to the hospital at 1 a.m. They said that people said I was crazy. What are you doing going to the hospital in the middle of the night? They're not going to even let you in. And then they for sure won't let you stay there. And I got there and, I, and they said, who are you? Look, my father was coming to pick me up at the airport. I had, my, I had two big suitcases full of, you know, my computer and, and, and books and, and tent and everything. And, uh, and, I, and, and I said, he was coming to pick me up at the airport and he got in an accident. Can I please go to see him? So, I mean, I've got the proof. I'm carrying my luggage with me. They're not, I'm not lying. I'm coming from Thailand. Oh yes, you look like you're coming from Thailand. <laughs> this guy's not trying to con us. So, you know, they were, they were, yes, oh yes, come this way, please. And there was some worry about whether my luggage was going to be in. But And I went, and, and it was wonderful. I got to stay with him. They had no problem. They even got me a bed the first night. And then I was sleeping in a reclining chair after that. But it was great. I got to feed him. I got to even bathe him once. I gave my father a bath. Can you believe a shower? because he could barely stand up. He was in pretty rough shape. And, so, and it, so it's a great, I can verify that that's a great blessing because it, it gives you a chance, the big thing is it gives you a chance to give something back after all that they've done for us. You know, your parents look after you kind of like uh, servants sometimes, no? I mean, uh, Often it looks like that. You know, the parents have to do everything for their kids. And what are the kids doing? What do the kids do for the parents? You ever ask, you know, after all your parents do, do for you, what have you done for them? What have you done for your parents? Gave them a card, let's see. Carried you in, your, in, her, in her womb for nine months. <laughs> fed you her breast milk and you know, cleaned your diapers. Sent her a card. You're getting there. Send her a card every day for the, the next million years and you might have a case. So, looking at, remember that. When your parents get old, don't, just, don't, don't let them be neglected. Don't neglect your parents. Putanda rasa sangaho. Looking after your spouse and children, looking after your family. So not just looking after your parents, but looking after your children is a great blessing because if you do, they're more likely to look after you. If you teach them well, if you teach them good things that are useful for them, if you teach them to be good people, they're much more likely to take care of you, for example. Of course, that's the most base thing, but it's a wonderful thing because then you get to see them grow up well. You don't have to worry about them. If you give them the right, te the right knowledge and wisdom, then as they grow up, they will do good things. They will be beautiful people, and they will spread 
uh, goodness around them. And, and so you will never have to worry about them as parents, and you will never have to fight with them. You will always have good relations with them if you teach them correctly, if you, you give, give them the right start in life. Because that's the thing, is you're not trying to preach or to force them, but children have nothing. They can't even talk, you know. If it weren't for parents, they would just—they would be like wolves. They wouldn't have any. You wouldn't even know how to speak, let alone how to tie their shoes, how to, you know, you know use the toilet. Everything they couldn't do. So, so we, we, we are, we have to teach them so many things. This is the role of parents. So people wonder, what should parents do? Should they just leave their children alone, or should they force them to do this or that? No, you have to teach them. A parent has to has the responsibility to teach children what is for their benefit and what is for their harm. We 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 make a mistake in modern society to think that benefit and harm are something different between right and wrong. You see, we think sometimes doing the right thing is painful, and it can never be. If you really do the right thing, it can never be painful. It can never be harmful to you. It might be painful for the body, but it will never be painful for the mind. If it's painful for the mind, you're doing it wrong. Remember that. So, so you're trying to teach children happiness. Parent, parents are not trying to make their kids miserable. Well, they do sometimes. This is the problem. You should not be making your children miserable. You should be teaching them how to be happy. Sometimes you have to make them miserable in order to help them see it. It's true. Very difficult to deal with children. So it's a great blessing if you can. If your children are mean and, and unruly, it's a curse. So we should be thankful that we can get along well with their families. Anakula chakamantau, engaging in harmless occupation deeds or activities that are anakula which are harmless, right? I think it means straight and not crooked. Yeah, akula I think means crooked. Anakula means not crooked, although I'm not sure. So yeah, don't get caught up in, not getting caught up in crooked deeds. We should never be uh, engaged in crime to make a living or harming other beings to make a living or cheating other beings to make a living. We should try to live our lives in a way that brings goodness to other people. You know, so becoming a nurse, for example, becoming a doctor, becoming a teacher. I don't think there's any better profession than becoming a teacher, a public school teacher, besides becoming a monk and teaching meditation. But in the world, if you look at how, 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 how profound the understanding of teachers is about how the mind works, just to have this natural understanding that, isn't, that is somehow special to the teaching profession. They have to be patient if they're a good teacher. But I mean, this is the point, is doing something that is, is of benefit, that is not crooked. You're not just there to make money. A teacher is not just there to be a, a, a tyrant. You're, you're, you should be straightforward and honest in, in all of your work. And it's a great blessing because it doesn't bother you and people respect you and so on. Dhanancha Dhammacharya cha. Charity. Charity is a great blessing. It makes you feel good. People esteem you and respect you. There was a, there was a story I told last night 
I don't think any of you were here, so I'll tell it again. Um, this man, this, this, this woman, she saw, she saw a beggar on the side of the street, and so she took her purse and she just dumped the contents of her purse into his, into his, uh, his bowl. That's what it said. I mean, you know, it must not have been a purse because that would have had other things in it. But she dumped something, <laughs> the contents of her change purse maybe, into his, his, his bowl. And, and, uh, and then walked away and, and he said thank you and she walked away. She thought she dumped a bunch of change in his purse and then she got home and realized she had put her wedding ring in with her, her coins and had dumped her wedding ring in, her, her, her uh, engagement ring or whatever with a big diamond on it. And she went, and she was so horrified, she thought, well, what am I going to do? There's no way I'm going to get this back. And she went back the next day, the guy wasn't there. And it was just the most uh, embarrassing, and it was just such an important thing to her, this, this ring. And then she went back the next day, and he was there. And so she went up to him, and she said, you know, I think I put something very valuable into your bowl. And he said, was it a ring? Because I kept it for you. And he gave him back to her. And that's not the best part of the story. The best part of the story is then she was so grateful for him, for his gift, in fact, you know, his kindness, that she started talking to him and she asked him, you know, is there anything I can do for you? And somehow he mentioned his bike was, he had a bicycle and it was broken and needed a new tire or something. And so she said, you know, look, forget about just that. I'm going to, I'll do something, uh, I'm going to do something for you, whatever I can. And they put on, a, on the internet, they told this story on the internet, and they put up uh, on this, they have these sites that you can go to and cr to raise money for, for causes. And she said, anyone who wants to contribute, please support this, this lovely man. When they wrote this, there was an article came out, and the art, and by the, at the time of writing the article, they had raised a hundred thousand dollars U.S. for this guy, and it wasn't over. I mean, it could have, it could be at half a million dollars by now, um, because. So this is in the Buddha's time. You heard stories like this. You heard stories of you know people would give gifts, and then suddenly become rich. You know, when they would they would do good deeds and suddenly wonderful things might happen to them. It's not always the case, but it can happen. Here's a perfect example. This guy was, he could have taken it and done what he wanted, but, and you know what he said? He said, what, what, what's the big deal? I mean, what kind of, he said, what kind of a world is it when you do the, when you, you don't <laughs> steal something that someone obviously didn't mean to give you, and it, it, it creates all this, 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 yeah. this excitement. It was the right thing. Which shows, you know, he's, 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 he's right on track, this guy. This is someone worth... And so you see how much of a blessing it is to say that, that he said, you know, to, and to do what he did. This is what the Mangala is. This is what the Buddha was trying to impress upon. The Dhammatariya means according, acting according to the Dhamma. This is not dana. He didn't give anything, really. He just didn't, didn't take something that was obviously not supposed to be his. But Dhammatariya means... A, acting according to the Dhamma, or living according to the Dhamma, the truth. This is what he did. Because he knew that this, there's no way he could accept this ring, this was obviously a mistake. I don't know, some people might say, well, she gave it to me. But it's amazing that he actually kept it. No?
of course, the cynic could say, well, what if he, he was going to pawn it, people would think he stole it anyway, right? Yeah, I don't know. I doubt it. No, you could, he could have gotten rich off that. And he did get rich off of it. But this is anakula, acting in, in the proper way. It's these things that are useful to think about, these kind of examples that it's useful for us to hear about, because it changes who we are and how we approach situations. When we're in a situation where we could even rightfully take advantage, because rightfully, he, no one would have blamed him if he had gone and pawned this ring. You know? But it makes us stop and think, you know, is that really the right thing? And, and if we do that, you know, are we really going to be happy? Uh, not nearly as happy as if we make sure try to find this person to make sure that they really meant to give such a crazy valuable thing. Anyway. Not just your family but also your relatives. If you're in good relations with your relatives, they can help you a lot. It's not everyone has this blessing, but uh, if you have this blessing, it's a great thing to be on good terms with your family. Anavajani kamani is the same as anakula. Anavajani means uh, um, not blameworthy. Don't do anything that is blameworthy, that people will blame you for. Your deeds should not be blameworthy because you do get a bad reputation. It's funny, we don't think about it sometimes and we don't realize how slowly, slowly, suddenly we find ourselves in a, in a situation where we have a bad reputation. We've done things that have caused people to spread nasty things, spread bad word about us. Arati virati papa. That's okay, I've got to be careful here that we get them right. To see, right, so this is one. To cease and abstain from evil. Now, this is a no-brainer. Don't do evil because it hurts you, makes you feel bad, it hurts other people, makes them do, dislike you, and so on. Remember, we're talking about things that um, bring blessings to your life and bring uh, happiness to your life and keep you from falling into trouble. So if you avoid evil, you will avoid a lot of trouble. This is really the greatest blessing. People say, how do I avoid suffering? Don't do evil. People will think, how can I get away with stealing, right? How can I avoid being thrown in jail? Steal something and avoid jail. Well, don't steal and you won't have to go to jail. Right? Don't do bad deeds. Don't, don't say nasty things to others. Don't get in arguments with it. How do I win an argument with you? Know, how do I avoid, how do I stop these people from from destroying me in arguments. So I'm fighting, all this fighting, how do I avoid it? Just stop fighting. Stop fighting back is often the, the beginning. There's an interesting quote, if, if someone is, um, if someone hurts you and you don't, uh, you don't respond in kind, you don't hurt them back, you're actually uh, in, a, in, in, in one sense, uh, stopping the, the causal effect. You're, you're nullifying their karma to some extent. You see, a person hurts you. If you don't hurt them back, you stop a certain portion of the karma because the bad karma would be to continue it and to create new bad karma. See, not all karma isn't fixed. If, I, if someone hurts me, then part of the, the result of that is me hurting them back, you see. But if I don't, I've actually nullified their karma, and I've accepted the 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 the, the injustice. You know, I've I've taken on the injustice and forgiven them. This is the Buddha said. This is the beginning to to be free from 
from the cycle. He said, this, this is why the greater evil is the person who responds with anger. A person who responds with anger is of greater evil than the person who got angry in the first place. Because we get angry sometimes thoughtlessly. When a person gets angry, they don't think, now I'm going to start a fight. They just get angry. And often they don't realize that then the person's going to get angry back at them. But when you get angry back, you're accepting the fight and you're starting uh, a, a feud. You're starting the cycle of vengeance. So the point, because we get angry for so many reasons, sometimes we don't realize that we're going to hurt the person. The first person just says something nasty because they're in a bad mood. If I'm playing my Nintendo, and you come and bug me, maybe I don't listen at first, and then you bug me again, and I'm still playing my game. No? And then when you bug me three or four times, then I get angry at you. But I didn't mean to get angry at you, I just wanted to kill the, the bad guys. No? Defeat the boss. That's all it was. But then when, when you get angry back at me, you really mean it. When a person gets angry back, this is what the Buddha said, this is what we have to be careful of. We have to let people get angry at us sometimes. We have to accept people's anger. You know, so if you, oh, what are you doing bothering me? Then just be patient and say, well, look, you know, I was trying. We have to accept that we're each not perfect. Even friends get angry at friends, right? You see, friends can get angry at friends, but if the friend gets angry back, you're no longer friend. This is what stops the friendship. Anyway, I'm a little bit off track. Majapana jasanyamo, stopping taking majapana drinks that are intoxicating. No, don't don't drink alcohol. Don't be a drunk. I know from experience. It's funny, you know. You see a lot of scientists and uh, scholars who who like to drink alcohol. Which is funny, because they, they esteem intelligence so much. Why would they spend time making themselves stupid? You ever seen someone who's drunk? Uh-oh. I don't know if you want to answer that. No. Uh, how about on movies? You ever seen in movies when the guy is drunk? No, they just act drunk. No, I've seen drunks. Actually, I used to be one. You you become... You can't really think. You think you're smart, really. It's funny because you start to say... And you think everything you say is, is just brilliant when you're drunk, right? <laughs> when you're drunk, you think you're the most charming, witty, amazing person in the world. That's why people do it, because it makes you feel good. And you know, like, strip naked and run around naked and you know, get in lots of trouble when you're drunk. So it's funny that wise people, or not wise people, but smart people don't esteem their intelligence enough to avoid this. But wise people do. Wise people see that for sure it destroys your wisdom. Any moment destroys it or destroys it? A little bit destroys it a little bit. A lot destroys it a lot. Alcohol doesn't have a, a limit. That's, there's no breathalyzer test for stupid. The more the more alcohol you drink, the more it poisons you. It's poison. I mean, I suppose if you sniff a little bit, it's probably not going to hurt you. Or if you touch some on your tongue, it's probably no, it's no, negligible. It's used in yeah, um, that is an interesting point. Using it in medicine for monks, we're still not allowed to have it in in alcohol. But there, it's more of a 
drawing the line than it is saying, oh, if I have a little bit of medicine and alcohol, I'm going to get drunk. We draw the line there and we say, no, if I'm going to have medicine, it will not have alcohol in it. Because, as a, as a point, as making a point, as a principle. That's the thing. So a lot of the, some of the rules and the strictness of them is just principle. You know, it's, it's not going to, that, that's a good example, because med, alcohol and medicine is not going to make you drunk, but we say no, even in medicine I'm not going to take it. Now for lay people, I don't know. I don't know that you're breaking a precept if you take it in medicine, but you might decide, because you're doing a great service, if you can keep it as a principle and say, no, I really believe that in, in take, the intake of alcohol is, is uh, not right. You'd have to look at the science of it, and, and if you could make a point that there is some medicine that requires alcohol, then you might have a point. But that's something that, it's, it's in the same way with pests. We say the only way to get rid of termites is to kill them, right? But that's because no one's ever thought of a different way. No one ever thought, well, how can we get the termites out of here without killing them? No one ever thought that. They're seven years in Tibet, right? This guy wants to build a, a, a theater. And uh, the Dalai Lama says, you know, he wants, the Dalai Lama wants this Brad Pitt to make him a, <laughs> a, a movie theater. <laughs> you never saw seven years in Tibet? <laughs> and uh, so Brad Pitt goes out and starts, tells the people, you know, you need to dig. And they say, we dig? What about all the animals living in the earth? Oh, he goes back to the Dalai Lama. These people won't dig. There's, 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 you know, what do they, you know, what, you can't do it any other way. He says, you'll find a way. Oh, and he's just furious, this guy. And so he says, fine, take the dirt out one scoop at a time and find if there's any worms or animals in it and bring them somewhere else. So this, you see this picture of these people scooping one and seeing, oh, I found a worm! And then they go, <laughs> and they bring the worm and they put a little water and make sure it's, you know, in, a, in its, it's comfortable in another place. And they, scoop by scoop, they dig this, this foundation for the movie theater. So, uh, this is this is the problem we have kind of as Buddhists living in the modern world is that people have already just trampled all over morality and so we kind of have to get together as a group sometimes and think of alternatives termites is an interesting one um, I mean in the end I would just let them you know it's theirs they can have it but there might be a way to to encourage them to go live somewhere else without uh, without having to kill them for sure Kerosene, do you think works? They don't like kerosene? Yeah. Mm. You see, there's always, there, 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 there should be a way. And in, the, and in the end, it's just, you know, you, you sacrifice. Because what are we here for? Are we here in the world to, be, to get everything we want? Obviously not. This is not the point. So, for me, it's wonderful to be able to make sacrifices and to say, no, if there's one termite in that wall, I'm not going to... I'm not going to do whatever, do anything to, to kill it. This is a wonderful thing for me. I'd, I'll go sleep outside. I'll go sleep under a picnic table. I did that once in the middle of North Hollywood. I would do that. Let the termites have the house. I don't mind. Appamado chadamisu. Appamada means uh, heed diligence or not being neg heedfulness in regards to the Dhammas, in regards to good practice. So this means all good things don't um, 
don't be negligent in regards to good things. We should know. We should we should be clear what are good things, and we should not neglect to undertake them. So the practice of morality, we should not be negligent. The practice of concentration, the practice of charity, the practice of meditation, we should not be negligent. So this is why I'm trying to get these children to practice at least five minutes a day so that they can start to wake up and to to think about these things. Think about what think about good things and the actual doing of good good deeds, not just learning about them and saying yes, yes, I'll do them. To to actually undertake to do them. You know, this is the Appamada, not being not letting your life pass you by without doing something good. That means all good things that there are in the world we should undertake to do them. We should uh, not think little of good deeds that that it's just just meditation. I can do it later. No. Don't take you have to take take the Dhamma seriously, that's what this means. Garavo Taniwato. Garavo means respect. So we already talked a little bit about that. Uh, puja puja which means veneration or or honor and so on. Garavo just means respect and it's on a lower level, so it means it can also mean respecting each other. It can mean respecting people who are who you esteem as your uh, your your seniors or so on. But it can also just mean respecting each other. We should respect each other. We should respect all human beings. It's easy uh, for religious people, even Buddhists, to become arrogant. No, I've got the truth. I know what's right. And, and oh, look at you, you're drinking, and so on. And monks become this way. Yeah, I keep the precepts. Those monks don't keep the rules, and so on, like that. This is... Uh, or we can look at Devadatta and think he was an evil, nasty person. But the Buddha didn't look like that. The Buddha said once, the Buddha said once something very bad about Angulima, about uh, Devadatta. But even in the end he said, I love Devadatta as much as I love my son. This is what he said. So this is the intrinsic respect that the Buddha had for, for, for humanity. He knew that Devadatta uh, had had a mind, you know, that Devadatta was a, being, a human being and deserved this respect. He didn't want to stop Devadatta from doing bad deeds because it would hurt the Buddha. He wanted to stop Devadatta from doing bad deeds because he knew it would hurt Devadatta. And in the end, he, he won and Devadatta uh, took refuge in the Buddha right before he died. And so they say, in the future, after he gets out of hell, because right now he's standing in hell like this, he's totally transfixed and there's spikes. And it's, it's a very bad torture that Devadatta had to put up, as they say. So they say, he's going to become a Pacheka Buddha, a private Buddha, sometime in the future. He's, the goodness doesn't disappear. Niwato means being... Uh, Niwata is an interesting word. It means... Uh, what do they translate it as? Humble, humility. Niwato, but you know what it actually means? Wata means wind, and ni means out. So, uh, not being, what's the word in English? Inflated, uh, being puffed up. That's right, you see? This is what it's referring to. It actually means not puffed up. <laughs> Niwato. 
uh, not being puffed up. So we should never be puffed up. We shouldn't be pompous. We shouldn't be um, self-righteous. But even not even not even that. We shouldn't be um, too serious. No. We should be. We should feel natural. We shouldn't say, "Well, I'm a Buddhist and I have to do this and this and this." Being a Buddhist is about understanding reality. We have to come to, back to nature. Why I say this is because I've seen so much in Buddhist cultures that is so vato, is so puffed up. You know, a teacher comes up and says, And you can tell that he's not really, he doesn't really feel it. No, it's not natural. That's how they give Dhamma talks in Thai. Na mo tasa pakavato. I shouldn't. I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to make fun, but I'm. I'm not trying to make fun. Actually, I, I really wasn't. I was trying to to because you can feel this. You can feel it in people, and you can feel it in Buddhist cultures. And I'm not trying. I really wasn't. You know, I could have. That was the kind of thing you do if you wanted to make fun. But I didn't. I really didn't. The idea is that um, we should see this. We should stop trying to be the perfect Buddhists and we should start to learn about our nature you know monks monks and it's, you can't blame the monks because they feel the pressure they think they have to be like that they think they have to stand up and be the Buddha and uh, maybe the culture demands it as well but I don't think so I've had the most success in Buddhist cultures just by talking to people by being natural because that's really what they want they have these hard jobs they have to work all day and when, when they come to the monastery, they want to be at peace. They don't want some guy saying, you know, preaching to them. Preaching is the word. This is vata. That's not quite, I think, what is meant. Niwata should mean, more specifically, being puffed up and thinking yourself all important. But uh, it's, it's the same sort of quality, taking things too seriously and making them artificial, pretending to be something you're not. We don't need to be. You know, like the blowfish, right? The blowfish gets really big and ooh, it's a big, scary thing. But it's actually just a little, little fish. And they're also poisonous. So. Santuti, contentment. Santuti is a wonderful one. Santuti, tuti means, means happiness or, or joy. Sun means with you, what you have. I'm assuming that's where it comes from because it means contentment being happy with what you've got this is the Buddha said santuti paramangdhanang the greatest wealth is contentment right what's better to be content or to have a Game Boy <laughs> content why uh, PlayStation. PlayStation 4. It's Xbox now. Xbox. No, I thought they were the same thing. You know, having the Game Boy, you'd be content. You'd be content, yeah? Well, but let's see how that works, right? Because once you got the Game Boy, you need games, right? So you have to buy games for the Game Boy, right? What do you use? You don't have a Game Boy. What do you have? Xbox. Xbox. Okay, do you have to buy games for it? Two. Two? Is that enough? Yeah. You, you don't want any more, no? Have you ever seen any games that you don't have that you want? I 
Yeah. So that's just called contentment, right? If you're content with what you have. But you can see how you, you kind of want them, right? And if I gave them, if I had them here for you, if I said, you know, in my room I've got some Xbox games that I'm not using, would you like them? Would, would you take them? If you said yes, then maybe. Right. <laughs> I could just give them to you in secret. But, but, but you want them, right? You see, this is wanting. This is called discontent. And it knows no end. Because once you get the games I have, they will quickly lose their... Lose their... Huh? They'll get boring, you see? This is discontent. Your sisters, why? You will get bored after a while. No, I think you understand it as well. But you see where I'm getting at, right? We have these desires. I'm not blaming you. We have these desires. And that's discontent. And so getting, getting all the things that you want, that's not real wealth. You're, you're creating more discontent. The Buddha said a shower of gold falling from the sky would not be enough for one human being. Amazing. <laughs> it would hurt. <laughs> but that, that's the least of your worries. No, it's true, it would hurt. All right. Contentment? Yes. That's the only way. Because it has nothing to do with the things that you have. You can be rich and still be content. It has to do with your, your, your attachment to them, your desire for them. It's how the brain works. It's nothing magical or, or hard to understand. The brain, the pleasure sensors in the brain are non-static. They're dynamic. So the more pleasure they get, the more they need. The first time you get the pleasure, dopamine or whatever, reaches the receptors, the receptors become weakened or, or, or taxed. So the next time, that the same amount of dopamine doesn't give them the same amount of pleasure. That's how the brain works. It, the addiction, that's why addiction is a cycle. You need more and more and more. That's why um, there was this, uh, my video, my video on pornography and masturbation got on, it's, it's a very popular video on the internet, Someone asked me about this. He said it was you've seen it maybe or yeah. it. Yeah, it comes up at weird places. Yeah, that's right. It, whenever you search for whenever you search for me, you get this video because that's what people are looking for. Um, it's actually not now. It's moved down on the list of my videos. The one on karma is higher up, which is a bit of a saving grace now. Um, but the point was, it got on. The reason, one of the reasons it got popular is. Probably not, but one reason why I got popular, it got on a, a self-help site for men who have pornography addictions. So I, I get these links, it tells me where everything is, people are looking at it, and you know, if I'm clever enough I can find where it is. And so I looked on this site, and this site had other information that was quite interesting, because it's an addiction. And it says, this, what I've been saying, is why um, people start out with soft porn, and then they go on to why it has to be more and more and more and you never get enough until finally you get you, you get you, you get so exploded and you you have to give up you have to uh, you have to collapse you because you, you know you can't win the the brain game the addiction game and until finally you give up and they're so taxed that you feel withdrawal nothing pleases you nothing there's no way to find happiness 
because the things that used to make you happy are not enough dopamine to, to satisfy the receptors. The science, science, physical science has, has proven this. I was in, there was a Chinese man who ordained with me and ordained at the monastery I was at in Los Angeles and he was a scientist studying addiction. And so I was like, oh great, I'll teach you meditation. You explain to me your scientific studies. And he explained to me many things. There was another PhD at uh, a university in, in California, married to a Thai woman. He came to practice with me and he told me a lot of things and so I turned around and showed him how to use it for himself because he was addiction therapist and he was taking medication for OCD I think um, which was you know probably why he got into the research in the first place because he, he wanted to learn about his own problem but uh, so I explained I showed him you know how how to to how to deal with this and how to this was really occurring and, and how to see, how to break the cycle, you know? how to see the chemicals as merely chemicals, first of all, see the objects as just objects, and uh, even to see the desire as just desire, not something that needs to be chased after, needs to be followed. The Buddha said three teachers. Some teachers teach only objects of desire, but not feelings and not attachments. Some people teach the objects and the feelings but not the attachments. And some teachers teach the objects of desire, the f pleasure that comes from them, and the attachment or the desire for them. And so the, the, best is, the best teacher is one who teaches all three. This is what I taught in this, this video, which is you know, a very important teaching. Uh, it's Paticca Samupada, by the way. It's dependent origination in, in brief. So if you can split them up and see them see this one for what it is or see this one for what it is or see this one for what it is it won't create the cycle wanting and then getting and then pleasure and then wanting and then getting and then pleasure you can catch it at any point am I talking too quickly? do you understand what I'm saying? we're almost done, no? no, not quite Santuti, uh, so contentment is one is an a big teaching of the Buddha. Katanyuta means gratitude. Gratitude is very important. The Buddha said, uh, "No, the Buddha didn't say it's a Thai saying." Um, Katanyuta is knowing the things that people have done for you, not forgetting the things that people have done for you. This is a sign of in Thailand. They say it's a sign of a good person. The Buddha said it's a rare person to find in the world. The rare is one who does good things for others without prompting. And, and the second rare type of person is one who, when people have done good deeds for them, recognize that and remember that and don't uh, forget the good deeds that other people have done for them. This is something the Buddha, that, that protects the world. It keeps people, it keeps the world, uh, or you could say it's a different, it's the... Um, it's the aspect of the world that is uh, leading towards the light. Well, at the same time, we're dealing with many many uh, factors in the world which are dark. Many, um, what's the word? Many things in the world that are, you know, the the, the aspect of the world, the, the dog eat dog nature of capitalism and 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 free market, where we take advantage of each other, where we're always trying to get and to take, take, take consumerism and so on, as opposed to just always giving and, and appreciating each other 
being thankful for what we've got. Santuti and Katanyuta go together because you are not only content, but you're thankful in the sense of not expecting things from people, not expecting things from the world. Being, being grateful for what you've got. But gratitude is good be because it, you know, the people who give then feel um, feel appreciated. You know, they don't feel used and abused. It doesn't create bad feelings between um, friends and so on. Kalena Dhamma Savanang, listening to the Dhamma in, from time to time. You see how much of a blessing this is, having to listen to me talk. Are you, you sure? I'm glad to hear that. People nodding their heads, that's always good. It's a blessing to hear the Dhamma, so that's why we use the Dhamma. I'm not just pulling this out of my book of Noah's sayings or Yutta Dhammo's sayings. This is the Buddha's sayings. So this is why we do this, because it's a blessing. Not something easy to find, this speech, this, this list. It's not easy to find in the world. Okay, Kanti Jasoa Jasata. Kanti means patience. Patience is what you have to do when the monk keeps talking and doesn't be quiet. Mm -hmm. Patience is what you have to have when when you have to bear with things which are unpleasant. So we have to be content when and not chase after good things. But when bad things come, when we're bored or thinking about our Xbox, we have to be patient. Why? Because I'm not going to just let you go and play your Xbox. You can't go home yet. Whether you want to play Xbox or not want to play Xbox, you can't go, right? Until your mother takes you home. So you've got two choices. Be impatient or be patient. Which one's going to be more fun? It's a no-brainer. Impatience? Is, is impatience feel uh, peaceful? No. No, you feel like Unpleasant? What about patience? How does patience feel? Fun. Mm, so which one's better? Patience. patience is better. Ding, 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 you get the prize. Patience is a wonderful thing. The Buddha said it's the greatest form of austerity. So in the time of the Buddha, everyone was torturing themselves because they had all this lust inside, this desire inside, wanting inside and they didn't know what to do with it. They thought, we have to burn this up. So they would burn it up by torturing themselves. So they said, aha, well, if chasing after pleasure increases the desire, then chasing after pain will decrease it. So they tortured themselves. Standing on one leg, uh, lying on bed of nails, you know the bed of nails? That's where it comes from. They actually lay on bed of nails, bed of thorns, they would uh, stand next to the fire and burn themselves. They would stand under the sun. They would go into the water. On the cold winter days, they would go into the water and come out and stand and shake and shiver, trying to, to torture themselves. To, because they said pleasure is bad, so pain must be good. And the Buddha said, no, that's not. That's, that's too easy. He said the real way to burn up defilements is patience. When you have anger, when you have greed, being patient with them. This is the greatest form of austerity. And of course, it's just being mindful. When you're mindful and you force yourself to 
just see it as it is too. Okay, I want it. Yeah, so I want it. Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean I should take it. Doesn't. There's no. There's nothing. There's no law of nature that says when you want something, you the correct answer is to take it, or it means you, it, it. It has some meaning in it that you should take it, because some people want crack cocaine. Doesn't mean they should take it. Wanting doesn't mean uh, right in rightness in, in taking. It's got to be a better way to say that. So wajasata means being easy to talk to. Waja means talk to. Wajasata. Wajasata. So means easy to talk to. So means su, which is easy. Wajasata, easy to talk to. So it means easily admonished. For example, when your parents tell you to do something, when you say, okay, and you do it, that's being easy to admonish. When your teachers um, tell you to explain you how to do something and you listen to your teachers and you follow their advice, this is a great blessing. If you're hard to admonish, no one wants to teach you. Your parents won't keep you. If you stop doing what your parents do, what they do is they just put you out with the trash and they let you fend for yourself. Not quite. But they won't want to help you. Your parents will just, what can I do with this kid? The only thing to do is hit them. That's all I can do. And, and, and nowadays they don't hit their kids anymore. I, my parents never hit me. But they won't. They will just yell at you and they won't teach you anything anymore. If you don't listen to your teachers, don't listen to your parents. The Buddha said it's like being dead. Not, not listening. It's like being dead. He said, when... Uh, when someone doesn't listen to me, I kill them, he said. That's what the Buddha said. There's a man came to him and he said, So, do you teach horses? Do you train horses? And the guy said, Yeah, I teach horses, train horses. And the Buddha said, How do you train horses? He said, Well, first I give them an easy lesson. I'm nice to them. I say, Do this, do that. And then if they don't listen to what I say to do, I tell them, you know, then I, then I have a harsh lesson. I hit them. Hit them with a stick. Don't do that. Don't do that. And if they don't listen to either lesson, then I kill them. Because they're useless, the horses. The Buddha said, well, that's how I teach men, humans. That's how I teach human beings. If uh, at first I tell them, teach a, a kind lesson, I tell them, do this, do that. This is good, this is a good thing to do. And if they don't listen, then I, and they do bad things, then I start saying to them, this is bad, this is bad. That's a harsh lesson. And if they don't listen to either of those, then I kill them. He said, the man said, excuse me, this isn't, this is what, what monks are supposed to do, no? And he said, well, what I mean by that is I stop teaching them. I, I decide that I'm not going to teach them anymore. And all of my students, all of my disciples feel the same way. They say they're not going to teach them either. And he said, this is what we call death in the Buddha's teaching. Because if no one teaches you Buddhism, you can't learn. Nowadays you can read books. It's not the same. I tell you, it's not the same. If you don't have a teacher, and they, a teacher who will teach you, it's like being cut off. Having your life cut off. Samananantadasanang. Seeing recluses. Seeing samana. Samana means someone who has a 
peaceful mind, santi mana, santi mano, samano. Santi means calm, mana means mind. So one with a calm mind is a samana. This is also where the word shaman comes from. Incidentally, it comes from this word shramana, which is the Sanskrit. Um, but yeah, seeing seeing holy be, holy people, and they mean they don't have to be holy, but people who are engaged in a holy life, people who are following following some holy order. So the, the what they say is seeing monks is a good thing. Seeing monks can be a good thing because it reminds you of good things. It reminds you of the Buddha when you see the robe. When you see a monk's robe, you think that's like the Buddha's robe. It reminds you of the Arahant disciples of the Buddha as well. But the big deal here is seeing people who are practicing meditation, seeing people who are peaceful in mind. This is the great thing. When you're just being around people who are peaceful, people who are wise, people who are calm, is a great blessing. It reminds you, just seeing them, it reminds you of uh, mindfulness. It reminds you to be mindful. And of course, when you go to see them, you're going to hear the Dhamma, you're going to hear good things, you're going to learn good things, you're going to practice good things, because you will get, you know, we're like, we're, we're, we become like the people we hang out with. If you hang out with bad people, as we said in the beginning, you'll become a bad person. So talking about the Dhamma, there's two kinds. Listening to the Dhamma is not the only way of learning the Dhamma. Discussing the Dhamma is also very important. So maybe after I finish here, if I finish, if I ever finish, we can, we can discuss it as well. We don't have to just be one way. Then you really can stay all night. This is what they did every, every Uposita day or every so many days when they were staying together. They would come together and talk all night. Yeah. So you have to go to school in the morning. What time? We can stay until you go to school. Did you bring your pajamas? Tapo cha brahmacharya cha ariya satchanadasanam. Tapo means putting out effort. Actually, kanti paramang tapo. So this is actually kanti. It's the same thing. But here he means putting out effort. Working hard in. in um, in the brahmacharya, in the meditation. Brahmacharya means the holy life. Brahma means God, actually. Charya means faring. So the Brahma, the God-faring, or the holy, the holy life. Holy life can be celibacy, that sometimes refers to, but it just really means uh, living a virtuous life, doing good deeds. It doesn't necessarily have to refer to um, perfect um, celibacy. There are ten kinds of brahmacharya. The most common one is celibacy. Um, the big thing is to live a virtuous life, moral, uh, compassionate, um, virtuous, generous, and wise and meditative. Arya Sajjanadasanam, seeing the noble truths. Ah, here we get to the core, you see. It's not all just about having handicraft and so on. The core here, we've, we've come to the core already. Arya Sajjana Dasanang, seeing the noble truths. So not just seeing all truths. Remember in Buddhism we're talking about truths that are, are, are uh, Arya, noble. You know, the noble truths means 
in Buddhism the meaning of noble truths is those truths that bring freedom from suffering some truths will not bring freedom from suffering the truth of whether Australia exists or not will not bring you uh, freedom from suffering the truth of whether Einstein was correct in his theory of relativity this will not bring you freedom from suffering but the truth that um, clinging is the cause for suffering this will lead, when you see this this will make you free from suffering so that's why they're called noble truths when you see this when you see suffering the first noble truth is all you need to see really when you see and get it that the things that you are clinging to are actually suffering when you realize that Xbox is causing you suffering that's all it takes once you see that it's causing you so if you're holding in your hand a hot coal a hot ember you know, and if you don't know that you're holding it you think why am I in so much pain but as soon as you realize you're holding the ember what are you going to do right away? drop it do you have to think first do you have to ask yourself and should I drop it you have to go and tell your mom, Mom, I think I should drop this. What do you think? You don't even have to think about it. Drop it or throw it, one or the other. Why? Because you see that it's causing you suffering. The problem with us is we don't see that these things are causing us suffering. We think they're causing us happiness. We think that this dopamine is really happiness. We're drug addicts, really. And because of that, we suffer. Once we see that it's causing us suffering, we give it up. Nibbana Satchikiriya, just seeing Nibbana. Seeing Nibbana for ourselves, this is the greatest blessing. Because Nibbana is true peace. We don't have anything to, we don't have any point of reference to understand this. Uh, you can think, what is, what is real happiness? If you never realize Nibbana, you have nothing to compare it to. You're, what you're thinking of is not real, is, is nothing, nothing like Nibbana. If you, so to explain what is Nibbana is very difficult for this reason. Because anything we said, it's like this or it's like that, you think, oh, happiness. Well, it must be like uh, flowers, how flowers smell or something. You know? It must be like a big hug, a nice hug. We can't, we can't even come close to imagining. Unless you've experienced Nibbana, you can't come close to imagining the type of peace we're talking about. Nibbana is the greatest blessing Nibbanang paramang sukhang. There is no Nibbanang paramang sukhang. Nibbana is the highest happiness. There's no happiness greater than peace. There's no happiness apart from peace, the Buddha said. When you have this kind of peace, your mind becomes clear and pure and you experience a happiness that is totally unlike anything that you've experienced before. This is the, my favorite verse in the whole sutta. When touched by the vicissitudes of the world, the, dhamma, the worldly dhammas, the mind of one, the mind of whoever's mind is not, uh, is not wavered, is not shaken, no, is not shaken. 
and therefore they are sokang, free from soka, which is sadness or sorrow. Vitrajang means without stain or without dust or dirt. Kemang, safe. Kemang means safe. Etamangalamutamang, this is the highest blessing for that person. So the lokadhamma or the vicissitudes of life, um, pleasure, pain, uh, gain and loss, uh, fame and infamy, and what did I miss? Praise and blame. Praise and blame. The eight lokadhammas they change. You, know, you can't have happiness all the time and not have. You can't have pleasure and not have pain. You can't be famous all the time. Expect to be famous all the time and not suffer infamy. You can't have always the things that you want and never have loss, never lose the things that you love. This is the, the, the ways of the world. Um, loss and gain, good things and bad things. When one who is touched by both good things and bad things and doesn't waver, because of that, they are no longer, they never sorrow, they never feel sad, they never are needing anything, they're never wanting for anything. They have perfect contentment at all times and they have no, um, there's no stain in their mind. And they, for this reason they become safe, kema. They're safe from all suffering. When you suffer in your life and you start crying, you have to think of this, think of this teaching. When you wonder, how do I become free from suffering? How do I deal with this suffering that I'm going through? How do I deal with this stress and this um, pain in the, that I have in my heart? I have to remember that this is the this is the mind that is causing us suffering. Our mind is kampati, is wavering, is being shaken. We have to find. We have to understand where true safety lies. It doesn't lie in always getting what you want and never being faced with things that you don't want. It comes from setting yourself up on a on a setting yourself in the mode of objectivity where you see things just as they are, where you don't uh, judge things and you're not partial. When, and when you're when you when you're able to do that, nothing can cause your mind to waver. When you get proficient at objectivity, then nothing can make you waver. Nothing can make you hurt. Etadisa, and then the Buddha says, why? Because those who have fulfilled all these are everywhere invincible. Aparajita. They find well-being everywhere. Sabbata sotinga chanti tangte for them, these, this is that is the highest blessing. That is the Mahamangala Sutta, very important Buddhist Sutta. Because it's just because it's all around useful, it's not just for meditators. It's not just for monks. It's something that encompasses daily life as well. So the Buddha taught, taught this to the angel, knowing that this would be something that would be a. Um, an inheritance for the world, uh, something that the Buddha, the Buddha has given to us as an inheritance, that we we can uh, know that it has now become a cornerstone in Buddhist.
culture and philosophy as something that is um, worldly or, or broadly applicable in the world, both for meditators and for people living worldly existences. So that's the talk for tonight. And uh, let's see if it goes viral. <laughs> Thank you for suggesting to record it. And now let's we can stop the recording and put it on YouTube. <laughs>